You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, so if you'll go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Matthew 6, it would be helpful to have that out and open on your lap. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just say a couple of words about Thanksgiving in light of um, Thanksgiving being this week. And so, you know, when you think about the, the ability to, to be thankful, giving thanks or being grateful, it is one of the signs of a healthy soul. Now hear that. A person who is thankful for where they are, what they have in life, that is a sign of a healthy, vibrant soul. On the other side of that, grumbling, a discontentment, a lack of thankfulness is the sign of soul sickness. Thankfulness on this side, healthy soul. Lack of thankfulness, a lack of gratitude, a grumbling, complaining sort of a spirit, a a soul that's sick. Now, isn't that interesting just to to consider once you just kind of look around and just think about the people you kind of operate with on a daily basis and who you bump into, how seldom it is that you run into people who are grateful, who are thankful people. It's, It's a very seldom sort of occurrence that you run into that person, that you get to do life with that person. And that should sober us up to that reality. That there is a lot of soul sickness out there, isn't there? And and that we are a part of that soul sickness. I think if we were all to be honest and look at our own life. And so one of the things that I love about Thanksgiving is that it's bigger than you and I just eating really good turkey, right? It is a week for us to ask the Lord to grow us in Thanksgiving. to, To grow thankful, gracious, grateful hearts. For the Lord to do that in us. And, and, you know, when you think about, like, growing in thankfulness, that is a work of the Spirit in us, and it's something that we cooperate with the Spirit to do. And I want to just encourage you, I think one really great way for you to work with the Spirit in creating thankfulness in your soul is by loading up your mind with what it is that you could and should be thankful for. I, I don't know if you're like me. I have a way of obsessing about the things that the Lord hasn't given me as opposed to being thankful for what the Lord has given me. And one of the ways that we can fight against that reoccurring temptation that we all have to do that is by loading our minds with what it is that the Lord has given us that we could and should be thankful for to fight against that. And so I just think that would be so good, just maybe as a little family project this week, to do that, to to make a list of what should we as a family, what should I as an individual be thankful for this week? And then to ask the Lord to grow from from that, thinking, preloading your mind with that, and then asking the Lord to build in your heart a real gratitude and thankfulness for that. So I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. And we are now in Matthew 6. This is where we are. We are in part two of a set of sermons uh, that we're calling Teach Us to Pray. We're just working through the Lord's Prayer together, and we're in part two of that. And we said this last week, that uh, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, there's many places in the Bible that you can go to learn about prayer. I don't think there's any place you can go in the Bible to learn about prayer in such a comprehensive and concise sort of a place as in the Lord's Prayer. I think it is the place to see it in a very concise, comprehensive um, sort of a way. And one of the things I love about the Lord's Prayer is it doesn't just teach us about praying, it teaches us about life. It teaches us what our life is meant to be about. So let me read it to you one more time and we'll dig in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. For the last week was our Father in heaven, this week, hallowed be your name. 
Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here is the key to human flourishing. Here's the key to your flourishing. If you want to know what, it, what, what is required for a human being to flourish, this is what it takes. In a simple sentence, here's, what it, here's what's required for humanity, for, for you, for me, for us to flourish. You have to make the great thing in your life the right thing. Just think on that for a minute. If you want to flourish as a human being, you have to make the great thing in your life, the ultimate thing in your life, the right thing. If the great thing in your life is the wrong thing, you are sabotaging your life. You, you're ensuring misery for your life. If you want to flourish as a human being, we've got to make the, the great thing the right thing. That's the key to human flourishing. So that leads to this massively important question. What is your life about? When I mean, just think about that. In your own life, what, what, do you, what is your, when you wake up on Monday, what is your Monday about? What is your Tuesday about? Your Wednesday about? What is your week about? What is this week about? What is your life about? See, one of the problems that we all have in our life is we get so bogged down into the deep details of our life that we can't see what our life is actually doing, what, what it's for. We get so involved in it that we lose sight of its purpose. I mean, just think about how your life works. If, it, if it's anything like mine, here's the sort of competing things that I have going on every day of my life. I've got a job that I'm working, right? If your job's anything like mine, it carries unique stresses, strains that go along with it. I don't feel like I can ever really get away from my job. It's always kind of running somewhere back there, right? So, so we've got jobs, and we're doing that whole thing. We've got family. All the stresses and strains that come with family, keeping this together, keeping that together. You got to make sure your marriage is together. Make sure your kids are going. Make sure your extended family, all that stuff is kind of working itself out. So you've got family going, all the stresses and strains that come with that. You've got friends. Friendships are very important in our life. And so you've got all the stresses and strains that come with maintaining good friendships and keeping good friendships and prioritizing good friendships. You've got all of those things that are just always going on along with about a million other things. And then life in a fallen world starts throwing you curveballs. You know what I'm talking about? A million different curveballs. So your car breaks down. Your kids declare war on each other on a Monday morning, right? I mean, it's just endless the sort of things. Um, you lose your job. There's more month than you have money. Kids end up rebelling. I mean, it's just a countless array of ways that life in a fallen world can just collide and just start breaking in and invading your life. And what happens for most of us is we get so into the, the deep details of our life that essentially what happens is we board the train of our life and we just keep doing what makes our life go and we never stop to think about where the train is actually taking us. You seeing that picture? We board the, the train of our life and we're doing all the things that make your life go and I'm doing all the things that make my life go and we've willfully boarded the train. And we're so involved in just keeping our life going that we don't stop and think, what in the world is this thing for? Like, where is the train taking me? Where do I want this thing to end? We just stop thinking like that. Now, what, what needs to be sobering for all of us is to think about that for a minute. 
As soon as you lose sight of the purpose of your life, you have just taken your first step to squandering your life. As soon as you lose sight of the reason for your Monday, you have just taken the first step of squandering your Monday. As soon as you have, you know, as soon as you lose sight of the purpose of your life, you have just taken that first step into just wasting and squandering your life. And is there anything more tragic than a wasted life? Is there anything? I don't know of anything more tragic than that. And the truth is, because we get so bogged down into the details of our life, we, we stop thinking about what our life is for, taking that long view that many of us right now are headed to that moment where we look back over our life someday and we have that deep sinking feeling of regret when we look at it. And to everyone who's concerned about that, I'm concerned about that. I don't know if you're concerned about that in your life. I am deeply concerned about that in my life. I do not want that to be my story. I do not want to get to the end of my life and have that deep sinking feeling of regret. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to squander my life. And if that resonates with you, if you're like, I don't want to waste mine either. The Lord's prayer offers us the help we need. It, 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 to everyone who's interested in that question, welcome to the Lord's prayer and in particular, the first petition of the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. Now I love this first petition for multiple reasons. First of all, I love it because it teaches us about the main point of prayer. Hallowed be your name, God's name, is the main point of all of our praying. If you had to consolidate all of our praying down to one point, this is the point. Hallowed be thy name. You know, if you look at the, the rest of the Lord's Prayer, uh, there's roughly six petitions, depending on how you divide it up. I'm counting it as six. There's six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. The, the following five petitions all find their fulfillment in the first petition. So why is it that we are asking the Lord for his kingdom to come? Why is it that we would ask the Lord that? Answer, so that his name would be hallowed. Why is it that we're asking for God's will to be done? Answer, so his name would be hallowed. Why are we asking for our daily bread? Answer, so we would have fuel in our body, provision for our body, so that we could then hallow God's name. It's the reason that all of these requests are being asked. Why are we asking for our sins to be pardoned for forgiveness? Why? So that we could be set free to hallow God's name. Why are we asking for protection, to, for, for the Lord to deliver us from evil? So that we don't fail and fall as we're trying to hallow God's name. Every one of these prayers find the fulfillment in the first petition, hallowed be thy name. It's the point of prayer. But it's not just the point of prayer, hear me on this. It's the point of our lives. It's the reason that you, you exist the reason that you're breathing right now is this, for, for, for you to be able to say, hallowed be your, be your name, for you to live for that, for you to make that the great thing of your life. That's the reason that you exist. That The Lord's Prayer, the first petition, is walking us in. It's welcoming us into the purpose of our lives. It's walking us in. It's clarifying for us what that main thing, the great thing, should be. If you want to flourish, what, it's, it's, it's clarifying what is the right thing to make that main thing, to make that great thing in our life. Now, here's the thing about this, this first petition. It is one of those uh, places in the Bible, it's in many places like this in the Bible, that uh, we are going to be prone to say often. I'm going to guess that many of you in the room have at some point in your life repeated this prayer, read this prayer, heard this prayer said, I mean, done that sort of a thing. You have said somewhere, hallowed be your name. The problem is, like many other places in the Bible, 
we have not thought that through. Like, what, what is that saying? Like, what are we saying when we're saying, hallowed be your name? So I want to spend a few minutes just working through just some observations of this. So let's just take that phrase and break it into a few parts. So first of all, we've got this idea of name. It's saying, hallowed be your name. So what is name? What's the significance of a name? Now, this is where just being alive in the 21st century, our culture kind of sets us back to understanding some of the biblical things. And this is a perfect case in point in this. When we think about names... Um, we do not think in the same way the Bible thinks about names. When we think about names, we think in terms of labeling people to identify people, to distinguish this person from that person. That's the main purpose of why we give names to people, identification, distinguishing. That is not true in the Bible. In the Bible, names were loaded with content. They were packed with content. They meant something. Now, that is especially true with God's name. God's name has everything to do with God's being. God's name has everything to do with God's being. You cannot separate God's name from his essence, from his character, from his attributes. All of those things go together. When you're talking about the name of God, you're talking about who God is, what God is. It's the sum of his being. His, his name, embedded into his name, is the entire content of who and what God is. So think about it in terms of like Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. The psalmist says, uh, you know, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, what is he saying in the word name there? He's not saying we trust in the letters G-O-D. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when he says we trust in the name of God, he's saying we trust in God. That name is the sum total of who God is. He's saying that we're trusting in this person, this being that we call God. Now, in the same way, when we're talking about hallowing, you know, the, the name of God, in essence, we are saying, when we're using the name of God, we're saying God. We're saying, hallowed be you, God, your name, all that you are, the sum total of your being, hallowed be you. So, so name equals God. Now we get to the word hallow. What does the word hallowed mean? It comes from kind of the family of words of holy. So that, that idea of being set apart. Um, you know, probably the most wooden kind of literal translation of the word hallow would be the word sanctify. So when we're hallowing something, we're sanctifying it. It means that we're setting it apart. We're acknowledging that it's unique. We're celebrating that as something that is, that is uncommon, that is, is superior, is special. It's what it means to hallow something. So put those two things together. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? It means that, that we're praying, that we're asking. It means that God would be regarded as holy. It means that we're, we're praying that God would be treated as holy. It means that we're, we're praying that God would be celebrated and delighted in as holy. See, when we're praying for God's name to be hallowed, we're saying, God, we want everything that you are, your name, who you are, to be seen and delighted and treasured and cherished by everyone everywhere. That's what we're praying. Essentially, we're saying, God, would you please be glorified? Now, what does it mean to be glorified? What does it mean to, to pray that the Lord would be glorified? It, you know, the word glory in the Bible is an interesting word. And I think this is the best way that I could describe what it means uh, biblically. To glorify something means that, that all that God is, all of his, just think all of his attributes, his goodness, his kindness, his justice, his righteousness, the fact that he's a good daddy, all that God is internally and intrinsically to himself to glorify God is, is the moment when all that he is spills over into the public eye 
and it is seen and cherished by people. That's when God is getting glory. God is not getting, I mean, God doesn't change, so he's always all of these things, all of these attributes, but when his attributes spill on and kind of into this public moment where he is seen and praised and adored and cherished and treasured for who he is, that's the moment of him getting glory. And that's what we're asking for when we are praying, hallowed be your name. We're looking at God and saying, Lord, let this be. We want to see you, all that you are, put on public display, and we want to see everyone, everywhere cherish you, adore you, delight in you, enjoy you. That's what we want, God. That, that's the first petition. Now, I love what J.I. Packer says about this. Let me just remind you, that's the first petition. It's the main point about prayer, and it's the main point of our lives. Love what J.R. Packer says about that. He says, when you understand it, this first petition, hallowed be thy name, and you make it, this first petition, your own, it, it begins to shape your life, and it begins to shape your, your prayers. When, when you do that, you have unlocked the secret of both prayer and life. It is that important. It is at the centerpiece of both our praying and it's at the centerpiece of our life. So in light of that, here's what I wanna spend the rest of our time doing. I wanna work through four ways that we can hallow the name of God. If this is what we're praying, God, we want your name to be hallowed. What does it look like for us to participate in that? For us to be a part of how God would answer this prayer? What, is it, what does it look like for the name of God to be hallowed in our lives? Let me give you four things. Here's the first one. Number one, we hallow the name of God by making the glory of God the goal of our lives. We hallow the name of God by making the glory of God the goal of our lives. <clears throat> we hallow the name of God when we make the main thing, his glory, the hallowing of his name, when we make that main thing the great thing in our life. That's when we hallow the name of God. Now, before I can convince you to make this the great aim of your life, I want you to just see in the Bible how it is the great aim of God. That God's greatest aim in the scriptures is the hallowing of his name. The greatest aim of God in the scriptures is that the glory of God would be seen. That who he is would be spilled out and it would be seen and celebrated by everyone everywhere. That's the greatest aim of God. And so I want you to see that it's the greatest aim of God so that we can then make it our great aim. So let me just show you um, this in the Bible. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Let me give you six or seven places that show us that this is the reason God does everything that he does. I mean, just think about that question for a minute. Why does God do everything that God does? What, what is the bottom base foundational motive in the heart of God? Why does God do what God does? L let me show you the answer to that. Let's just look at it from several different angles here. Why does God save us? Why does God save people? Why does God rescue and redeem people? Here's the answer given in Psalms 106 verse 8. This is the bottom line motive in the heart of God. Yet he saved them. Why did God save them? <clears throat> for his name's sake. That's why he saved them. For his name's sake. That he might make known his mighty power. Why does God save us? For the hallowing of his name, for the glory of his name. That's the answer. Why does God pardon and forgive sinners? Why does God do that? Psalm uh, chapter 25, verse 11. Here's why. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 
Why does God forgive? For his name's sake. Why does he pardon? For his name's sake. This is why God does what he does. Why does God restrain his anger? Why does God not just blow every human being off the map in their rebellion? Why does God not do that? Here's the answer. Isaiah 48 verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. Why does God restrain his anger? For the sake of his name. Why does God not forsake us? Why does God promise never to abandon us? Answer, 1 Samuel 12, 22. The Lord will not forsake his people. Why is that? For his great name's sake. Jeremiah 14, verse 21. Do not spurn us. For, why? why? Why would God not spurn us? For your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Why does God not abandon us? Why does he not forsake us? Answer, for his name's sake, for the glory of his name. Why does God lead us in paths of righteousness? Answer, Psalm 23, verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why would God do that? For his name's sake. Why does God help us, deliver us, and atone for our sin? Psalm 79, 9. Help us, O God of our salvation. Why? Why, why would God help us? For the glory of your name. So that people can see just how wonderful you are. That's the reason that God would help us. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sin for your name's sake. This is the reason God delivers, the reason that God helps us, the reason that God delivers us. Why does God preserve our lives? Psalm 143, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. Why, are you, why, why is your life being sustained right now? Why is your heart still beating? Answer, for the glory of his name, for the hallowing of his name. Why does God gather and cleanse and renew a people for himself? Ezekiel 30, uh, 36, verses 23 and beyond. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, declares the Lord. How will he do that? When I gather you from all the countries and sprinkle clean water on you and give you a new heart and a new spirit. Why does God renew? Why does God cleanse? Why does God gather in for the vindication of his great name? And we could, we could just plant in here another 70 or 80 or 90 verses if we wanted to, but the Bible is just helping us see this big point. This is the big point the Bible is making here. The big point the Bible's making is the Bible's not about us. The Bible is about God. I'm gonna say that one more time. The big point the Bible making is making is the Bible is not about us. The, the Bible is about God. That's the point. Just picture this conversation. Picture someone having this conversation with God. God, are you saying I'm not the center of the universe? Are you serious? God, are you really saying that people seeing and celebrating your greatness is more important than them seeing and celebrating my greatness? God, are you really saying that? And just hear God say this, yes. Just hear God say, that's exactly what I'm saying. That I'm a bigger deal than you are. That you are not the center of this thing. I'm the center of this thing. Now the question is, is do you see God this way? From my experience, many do not see God this way. Pe people, how, how most people see God is, they're at the center of the universe and God is orbiting around their life, fulfilling their every need at their ever-becking whim. That's how we want to see God. But God is saying, that's not the way I want, you to be, I want to be seen. I'm at the center, you do the revolving. If you get that out of whack, you are sabotaging your life. So I think, you know, I've heard it illustrated one time with cat and dog theology. Let me break down cat and th dog theology for you. If you've got a cat, <clears throat> bless your heart. But you're going to know this is going to be true. 
See, here's the way a cat sees the world. A cat sees it like this. My owner cares for me, protects me, and provides for me. Therefore, I must be God. That's cat theology. God's doing all of these great things for me. That must mean I'm at the center of the universe. Here's dog theology. A dog, on the other hand, says, my owner cares for me, protects me, provides for me. Therefore, he must be God. Now, here is the problem that a lot of us have, me included. We very easily slip into feline theology, don't we? Where everything is about us, where we are at the center, everyone, everything is revolving around us. And can we just all see this? God's not willing to go along with that game. The point of the Bible, the point God is clarifying for us is that we aren't the point. God is the point. That's the, that's the whole point of this thing, is that hallowing God's name is the point of this entire thing, not hallowing our name. Not, not making sure our every little thing in life is just like, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus is the point. The point is that hallowing God's name is the point. That's the point of the whole entire issue. Now, let's just get this on the ground and apply this. If you just want to know what this looks like on a very practical level in our life, here's what it looks like. To hallow God's name, to make the glory of God the goal of our life means this practically. It means we have to get over ourselves. Oh, isn't that hard to do? That is so hard to do. It means that we have to get over ourselves. That is the core component, right at the foundational element of what it means to make the glory of God the aim of your life. Because it's either, like they're competitors. Either it's going to be your glory that's at the center or it's going to be God's glory. And it can't be some combination of both and. It's either God's or it's either yours. And the key issue of, of making the glory of God the big aim of our life, the main thing in our life, the key issue is we have got to get over ourselves. Can you just imagine this morning the Lord putting before you a road? And in that road, there is a fork. To the left is road one. We'll call that the everything is about you road. Many of us are walking down that road right now. We're, we're living on that road right now. Road number two on the right is Everything is about the glory of God, that, that road. Road one is, we're the point. Road two is, Jesus is the point. And can we just have a moment where we just breathe in and we just all get before the Lord and say, let's take the exit ramp over here. Let, let's take the exit ramp, get off the, the everything's about me road, come over to the right road, to the everything is about Jesus road, and let's just make a collective decision this moment. Let's just get on the right road. Let's get on the everything about Jesus road. Let's get off the everything about us road. Because can, can we just kind of have a moment here where we just realize when everything is about us, when we are the point of our life, hear me, you will be enslaved to a million different sins. When everything is about you, you will be enslaved to a million vices in your life. And, and we could just go down the list. Impatience, anger, lust, Greed, every vice imaginable flows from this place. Everything's about me. Obedience, righteousness flows from this place. It is all about God. He is the point. I, my, the goal of my life is to point to the point. That, that's what I want to do with my life. Let, let's just apply this to, to husbands and wives in the room. To those who are married, can I just say the main problem with your marriage right now? 
is somebody trying to be at the center of your marriage other than God. The, the greatest day in the life of any marriage is when both husband and wife will willingly relinquish the center place and give it to God. It's the greatest day in your marriage. And listen, I'm not saying that because you need to be reminded of it. I'm saying that because I need to be reminded of that. A week and a half ago, man, I just got into this ditch where I was self-loathing, full of self-pity. Man, the world was about me, and it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. You ever been in that place? And that was about a week and a half ago, and in that three or four-day period happened to be my wife's birthday. I totally killed my wife's 39th birthday because the world was about me, and it wasn't going the way it should go. And just, just hear this. At the end of the day, you will kill your marriage when it's about you. You'll kill everyone around you when it's about you. Let's take our parenting as another just application of this. If, you're, if your family life is about you, you're either going to like live vicariously through your kids or they're going to be the biggest inconvenience you've ever had in your life. The only way you will not crush your kids as parents is to make your home about Jesus, not about you. For singles in the room, the only way you will ever receive the gift from God of a single life and use it for the glory of God, the only way you will ever do that is for you to get over you. Teenagers in the room. I, you know, I, if there's one mark of the teenage years, it is that the world revolves around a teenager. I know that because I lived it. The world revolved around me. And if you're a teenager in the room, I just want to give you this friendly encouragement. The sooner you will make the world not revolve around you, but you will willingly relinquish that place and put God in that place, the better your life will be. Every stage of every life in this room, regardless of where we find ourselves, the key issue in our life is, are we willing to make the great aim of our life the glory of God? Are we willing to get the right thing in the great spot in our life? Now, I, I want to just linger here for a moment and apply this. Think about the area in your life where you came in, you're anxious about it this morning. It keeps you up every now and then at night. I mean, it's just that thing that like, it's that reoccurring issue. Maybe it's friction between you and another person. Maybe it's friction between you and your wife. Maybe it's unforgiveness that's just lodged deep in you and you just can't get it out. Maybe it's bitterness that you just can't let go of. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Just allow, let's just take a moment to allow the Lord's prayer to sort us out. Just allow the Lord to ask the questions and the Lord's prayer to be our answers this morning. Allow the Lord to ask this question to us all. Who am I to you? And let's just all answer together with the Lord's prayer. Here's who you are, God. You're, you're our Father in heaven. You're, you're a good daddy to us. You're kind to us. You love us. That, that's who you are to me. Now imagine God asking the second question. So, so if that's true, what, what is your main Go. What's the main point of your life? What, what do you want to die doing one day? What, what is that thing? What's the great thing in your life? The Lord's Prayer answers it for us. Here's the main thing, God. Hallowed be your name. We, we want your name to be glorified. Now, just allow that, those two questions to sort out that tension point in your life right now. How much freer would you be to deal with that little place of tension in you if you really believe that? That the main issue of your life was not to make sure your life went okay, but the main issue of your life was the glory of God. 
the main issue of your life was to point to the wonder and the majesty and the greatness of God, to cherish God, to show up the world what it looks like to cherish God, to treasure God? What would it look like in your little tension place if that was your main goal? If your main goal was not getting your way or making sure that person kind of knows where they are, gotcha, but like the main issue of your life was, God, I want you to be seen and known and treasured in this moment, in this thing that is really hard right now. What would it, how, how different would our life be? How much more free would we be to interact in those moments? That's the first way that we hallow the name of God. By making the glory of God the main aim of our life, the main goal of our life. Here's the second way. By walking in obedience to our Father. By walking in obedience. Listen to Leviticus chapter 22 talk about this. It's going to connect our obedience or disobedience to the hallowing or dishonoring and profaning the name of God. Here's how it says it in Leviticus chapter 22, starting in verse 31. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. Why? God, why would we keep your commandments and do them? Because I'm the Lord. That's the first reason. Good enough. I'm the Lord. Here's the second one. And you shall not profane my holy name. But I will be hallowed among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies. You see what he's saying there? He's saying in the way that you either obey the commandments of God or break the commandments of God, there is something happening in each of these two scenarios to the name of God. When we break the commandments of God, we are profaning the name of God. When we keep the commandments of God, we are honoring and we are hallowing the name of God. Can we just all just recognize and feel this this morning? Your life matters. My life matters. How we live matters. Not primarily because it's going to do something for or against our little lives. Our lives are little in the grand scheme of things of why our lives matter. The reason our lives matter is because they are saying something about God. See, our lives can either blaspheme the name of God. This is what Paul says in Romans 2, verse 24. He says, do you not know that the name of God is blasphemed among the nations because of you? That the way we live can blaspheme the name of God. And at the other side, when when we are obeying the commands of our good daddy, when when we're doing this, when we're living in obedience to to Jesus, when we're walking in obedience, at the same time, on on this side, we we get to hallow the name of God. We get to, to show the world just how great God is. It's a way of glorifying God. This is what it says in Matthew chapter five. You remember that passage where it talks about you're the light of the world? It says, let your light shine before men. Let your good deeds shine before men. And here's what's going to happen. People are going to see your good deeds. And what are they going to do when they see your good deeds? They're going to glorify your Father in heaven. See, this is why our lives matter. This is why obedience is such a big deal. Because it is saying something about God. It's either hallowing the name of God or it's profaning the name of God. I was reminded this week of a biography I read several years ago of John Patton. He was as a, a Scottish missionary to the South uh, kind of seas, South Pacific. And, uh, and he went into a place that was, I mean, it's like missionaries go there and they die. That's, that's the story of every missionary that goes there. Super dangerous place, a pagan tribe that killed everyone that showed up on the island. That's where he was going. And in his biography, he tells the story about the moment when he was walking out of his village going to the port, walking to the port to leave, to go to the South Pacific, to this island, this very dangerous island. And his dad walked the first several miles of that journey with him. And listen to how he recounts the story. He says, for the last half mile or so, we walked together in almost unbroken silence. 
My father's tears fell fast when our eyes met each other with looks for which only or all speech was vain. I mean, just reading this this week again, it just I, I so saw myself as a dad walking my kid in this moment, and gosh, it just broke me up. So he's saying, our, our, you know, tears fell as our eyes met each other with looks that were just too deep for words. We halted upon reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence. And then he looked at me and solemnly and affectionately he said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could when about to turn a corner in the road where he would, he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing there, gazing after me. Waving my hat goodbye, I was around the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and too sore to carry me further. So I darted to the side of the road and I sat there and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if my dad, if he, if he still stood there where I left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He didn't see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, he set his face toward home, and he began to return. And I, the son, I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And then hastening on my way, listen to what he says. Hastening on my way, I vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and act as so to never grieve or dishonor such a father. Now, I know that, that many of us in the room, we don't feel that way about our dad because we didn't have a very good earthly dad. I, I, I had the blessing of, of the Lord to have a great dad who I feel like that toward him. Man, I, the last thing I would ever want to do is dishonor my dad. Now hear, hear this. Just make this connection. If that is how we would feel about a very imperfect earthly daddy, how much more should we feel that toward a perfectly heavenly father? How much more should we feel that deep sense of, Man, I want to vow and I want to resolve that I'm not going to ever do anything by the help of the Spirit to dishonor or bring reproach upon my good daddy in heaven. But I don't want to do that. I want to live in such a way that would hallow him. I want to live in such a way that would heap honor and esteem and that would show that I cherish him and that everyone everywhere should cherish him. How much more should we feel that toward a perfectly heavenly father? Now, when it comes to walking in obedience, let me just apply this really briefly. There, there are two main issues when it comes to walking in obedience. There's a negative side and a positive side. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 show us this. There is a putting off side and there is a putting on side. There are things that need to be killed in our life and there's things that need to be brought to life in our life. Now, ask yourself the question. I just want you to close your eyes where you are and just ask the Spirit of God to show you right now what needs to be killed? What needs to be put off in your life? Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's grumbling, unforgiveness, bitterness. What is it that needs to be put off in your life? 
Maybe it's just not getting over yourself. What, what needs to be put off? And what needs to be put on? What needs to be put on to pursue Jesus? To live a life that would show that you cherish Jesus? What would need to be put on to hallow the name of God, to, to bring great esteem and value to the name of God? Let me real briefly run through the three and four here. The third way that we can hallow the name of God <clears throat> is by thinking true thoughts of God. When Martin Luther um, was writing a little pamphlet on the Lord's Prayer, he was trying to answer, how is God's name hallowed among us? How, how is it hallowed? So what is the answer to the question, how is God's name hallowed? Here was his response. When our lives and doctrine are truly Christian. But hear that. It's not just our lives, it's our doctrine. When our doctrine is truly Christian, when we're thinking right thoughts of God. I use this illustration periodically, and I use it often enough that I want it to just be kind of a part of our culture. When you think about things like this, you would think about this illustration. If I came to you and was introducing my wife to you, and I said, you wouldn't believe how wonderful Laura is. And all that is very true. She is great. She is wonderful. She is beautiful. And if I'm describing her beauty, and I, I start describing her physical appearance, and I say, you wouldn't believe she's got this beautiful blonde hair. She's got eyes that would just, you, it would melt you as you look into these emerald green eyes. It's just unbelievable. If Laura walked up and overheard me talking about her that way to you, she would not feel honored by me. As a matter of fact, she would feel very dishonored by me. Why is that? Reason is because she doesn't have blonde hair and she doesn't have green eyes. She's got brown hair and she's got brown eyes. Do you see the picture? God is not honored when we think wrong thoughts of him. When, when, we, when we're talking about God and we're talking about him in such a way where God's like, but that's not me. I don't know who you're, you're talking about a God that you've made. You're not talking about the real God. You're not talking about me in this moment. See, God is not honored by wrong theology, by wrong thoughts of him. God is honored when we talk in such a way where we're reflecting the true nature of God. Now the question becomes, how in the world do we see a real picture of God so that we can talk about a real picture of God? Here's the only way I know to do it. The only way to do it is to open up your Bible and to read it yourself. That is the only way you're not going to make a God in your own image, is to open up the Bible and every passage you read, ask the question, what is this showing me about God? What is it showing me? And now hear me on this. As your head begins to fill with knowledge of God, it's meant to do something. It's meant to then fuel affection in your heart to God. It's not meant to stop at knowledge. The goal of this thing is not just for you to know more about God. The goal is for us to know more about God so that our hearts would come alive to God, that we would love God and cherish God and hallow God. Number four, how do we hallow the name of God? We hallow the name of God by people, or here's one way that the name of God is hallowed, by people putting their faith in Jesus. Every time you push your chips in with Jesus, you are hallowing the name of God. When a person who does not know Jesus pushes their chips in with Jesus, in that moment, that decisive moment of faith, they are hallowing the name of God. They are showing a picture to the world that that God right there, that God, his name should be cherished and valued above everything else in your life. When a person goes from hating God to loving God, the name of God is hallowed. When a person goes from indifferent to Jesus to warm, deep affections for Jesus, the name of God is, is hallowed. 
When, when people go from a place of admiration of Jesus to a place of wholesale surrender to Jesus, the name of God is hallowed. When a Christian killing Saul turns into a church planning Paul, the name of God is hallowed. Are we seeing that? The name of God is hallowed when we do that, when people put their faith in Jesus. Now, let me just, let me just apply this really briefly to, to this week. We are all moving into Thanksgiving week. For many of us, that means we are going to be around family. Many in our family don't know Jesus. So let's just all just have a moment where we recognize as our families gather, as people are gonna gather this week, it is bigger than us eating turkey and dressing. We are gathering because we want the name of God hallowed. So oh, that God would open our eyes to see the opportunity in a week like this to talk to people who don't know Jesus. That God would, would infuse courage into our hearts so that we would actually open our mouth and speak about these things. That he would give us patience so that we would be people who ask good questions and we would be good listeners this week. And maybe, just maybe, that God would use people among this church family, that, that we would be the mechanism, we would be the means of God saving. We would be the means of God urging and God calling out faith in the hearts of other people that would hallow the name of God. Amen? Don't we want to see more of this around here? Of people putting their faith in Jesus? About the name of God being hallowed as people shove all of their chips in with the God who's worthy of all of their chips, all of their life? Let me end by... Uh, by giving you three ways that this first petition should shape the way that we pray. Three really brief ways that this petition should shape the way we pray. Way number one, in light of this first petition, we should pray for a deeper awareness of how God's name is belittled. For a deeper sensitivity to how God's name is belittled. In our own lives. Do you know every time we get callous to God and cold to God and apathetic toward God, we are belittling his name. Every time we start glory, you know, stealing, we, we try to get in the middle of this thing as opposed to let God being in the middle of this thing, we are belittling the name of God. Every time we willfully walk in disobedience, we are dishonoring the name of God. That we would grow in a real sensitivity to this. And not just in our own lives, but in the world at large. That we would see that this world is a God-belittling place and it shouldn't be that we would have a deep sensitivity to how God's name is belittled. Secondly, how should it shape our prayer life? It should shape us in a way where we begin to pray with God's glory being our highest aim. I, mean, I, I just pray that more and more the way we pray would have the flavoring of God's glory all in and around it. I love how J.I. Packer uh, talks about this. He said, were we left to ourselves any praying we did would both start with and end with ourselves. Do you feel that about you? I feel that about me. Left to myself, my prayer life is gonna be all me. So, we, you know, left to ourselves, that, that's what's gonna happen. For our natural self-centeredness knows no bounds. But Jesus' pattern prayer, which is both crutch, road, and walking lesson for the spiritually lame like ourselves, tells us to start with God. Let's start here. Hallowed be your name. It starts with God. Lesson one is to grasp that God matters infinitely more than we do. Oh, that our prayers would be filled with that sort of a flavor. And lastly, we should pray this prayer would be answered with our own lives. We should pray that we would be a part of this prayer being answered. 
that your life would be, my life would be, our life collectively as a church family, that we would be a part of the answer to this prayer. If we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, with no intention of seeking to be a means of fulfilling this prayer, of seeing this prayer come to fruition, all we're doing is offering idle words to God. And hear me. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a bloody death. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And do you know why? To enable you and me to set us free to live this prayer. To set us free to live in such a way that would bring great honor and great glory to the name of God. And may we be a church family who pursues that. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to give you just a moment there where you are to allow the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be this morning. And up on the screen, you should see some ways that you can respond this morning. And one way that is a good, appropriate response is if you're in the room and you have never pushed your chips in with Jesus, there's never been a moment where you've turned from your sin and thrown your life upon Jesus. Man, this is a moment for you to do that. That There's this defining moment in our lives when we hold our life up to God and say, my life is yours. I'm trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make me right with you. In that moment, God adopts us into his family. He gives us the spirit of God to enable a right living in our life. He commissions us as missionaries. And he's inviting you to be a part of that. So if you've never done that, Man, what a wonderful morning for that. If the Lord's working in your heart in that sort of a way, you can take that card underneath your seat, fill out the black side of that, check the box establishing a relationship with Jesus, and put it in the offering basket as it comes around at the end of the service. And we would love to start that journey with you. If you are a son, a daughter of God, you're in the family of God already, that decisive moment of faith has happened. What a great morning just to evaluate. Is the, is the great thing the right thing? Is the point of my Monday when I wake up the hallowing of God's name? Or is it to defend my little kingdom over here? Make sure my little life goes okay. Tuesday, the hallowing of God's name. Just wonder how many of us need to have a moment before God where we repent where we confess to God that we have been the sinner and that just in a new and a fresh way this morning, we re-acknowledge to God that we're turning from that sin and and we're confessing to God that we want you to be at the center. I wonder how many of us have areas and issues of our life where our lives are bringing dishonor to the name of God rather than honor to the name of God. Wherever it is that the the Lord is speaking to you and pressing on you, I'm just asking that you'd be obedient to him this morning. I'm going to pray for us. If you need prayer this morning, we'll have some people over at our prayer table at the back of the room. We'd love to pray with you, so feel free to go over there as we sing this morning. So, Father, we love you, and, Father, we are thankful for Jesus who covers all of our glory stealing covers all of these moments in our life when we try to push you out of the center and we try to take the place in the center. And Lord, we're thankful for the pardon that we receive in Jesus. 
And Lord, we're thankful for the power received in Jesus to actually live out this, to actually set the goal of our life being your glory, the hallowing of your name. So Lord, will you help us this morning do that? Will you put in us a deep resolve to do that? It's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.